Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Kerrigan. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that He has called you to do. A few years ago, um, Josie, and almost 10 years ago, Josie and I bought a sailboat, and uh, it was up on Lake Texoma, up on the uh, Oklahoma border. And um, we sailed around, and it was wonderful. And one time we even kissed and took a picture as we sailed by. And um, um, it was fun. Now, we didn't know how to sail. Uh, we had to learn on YouTube. And thank God there's people on YouTube that'll teach you how to do anything from changing out, you know, the brakes or air conditioning or learning how to sail. Um, and one time, Josie and I were up there, and um, it was like a, it wasn't a stormy day. It was just kind of a cloudy, windy day. And um, we, um, we, we, we set the anchor and we put on some music and we were just kind of laying on the, the deck there on top and, and then um, it just got kind of cloudy and a little bit rainy so we, we went down into the cabin and um, we were just talking and I think we like fell asleep and it was just a beautiful relaxing Saturday afternoon. But then um, all of a sudden we must have fallen asleep because I, I heard the boat going bang, bang, bang. The wind had picked up, we had fallen asleep, and we had just drifted all the way across Lake Texoma, and the back of the boat was banging up against the rocks on the other side. I was like, son of a gun. So we you know, had to get back off, because I had set the anchor, but the anchor didn't hold. Some of you know where we're going, right? It's good preaching, I haven't even started yet. <laughs> because sometimes in life, wind will blow, and you need an anchor that's gonna hold you. Otherwise, you're gonna get tossed around all over the place. And the funny thing is, I learned about an anchor. A good anchor is expensive. A good anchor is gonna cost you something. A good anchor doesn't come for free. In fact, our anchor was so good that somebody stole it right off our boat in the marina one day. And we got out there and it was like, now we can't go, because you need an anchor to sail in life. Because it's great when you're out in the, the deep water, but when you need to stop, you need something when, to anchor to. So whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, there's this famous verse that you've all heard and you've all seen it on your grandmother's memes on Facebook because that's what she likes to do is post memes about things on Facebook. And um, by the way, young people, your grandma is on Facebook. So if you haven't seen her in a while, just jump on Facebook. And that's where all the old people are. So says the grandma, looking for some grandbabies. So Gail Dyke just gave me a thumbs up. So, Gail Dyke's grandkids, get on Facebook and give your grandmother a hello. Come on, somebody. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, this hope, if you have a paper Bible, which none of you do, circle the word hope. If you have a digital Bible, you can actually highlight it and save that. This hope is strong, and it is a trustworthy anchor for our soul. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Now, Ryan, Daniel, I want you to leave that, word, that verse up there for a little bit because there's a lot going on here and we need to unpack it a little bit. This was written by the writer of the book of Hebrews to Jewish people, and in this time, the temple still stood in Jerusalem. And in the, 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 the middle of the middle of the middle of the temple was this, this inner sanctuary with the presence of God. I mean, now we know that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We carry the presence of God with us wherever we go. But to the mind of an ancient Jewish person, you had to go to this one place, to this one room for the presence of God. And what the writer says is that hope in God 
is the anchor for our soul. But then there's this kind of bananas illustration that the anchor then will lead us into the inner sanctuary. It'll lead us, now anchors don't move. If you set an anchor properly, the point of it is that you don't move. But the imagery in this one verse is that that anchor, if we really anchor ourselves in the hope of the Lord Jesus, it will move us into his presence. So the presence of God is the key. Church is not the key. Religion is not the key. You following Christian influencers is not the key. The presence of God is the key. And that is why we worship the way we do. That is why we worship with zeal and passion. Because we are anchoring ourselves to the presence of God. And he's pulling us in deeper. We're not singing songs. I don't care about singing songs. I care about his presence. So when we would, and after that, that first time when, we, when the anchor, you know, drifted and we broke in and we went into the rocks, every time we set the anchor from that time forward, I, I took my time to get the anchor set. I, I made sure. I, I, I pulled on it. I yanked on it. I, 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 sometimes if it was more shallow, I would dive down and really just make sure it grabbed the mud and it was dug into the seafloor. So there's this concept in, in theology, in, in the, the, the understanding and the knowledge of the character and nature of God, that we need to, in times like this, when there's not storms and wind, we need to pull on our anchor chain and make sure that we have the correct theology, the correct anchor. So I'm going to give you four points of theology today that are going to give you anchor points that no matter what wind blows in your life, this is going to anchor you. Now, here's the problem with theology. You cannot know Jesus and not know his presence and not know that hope and still learn theology. There are people in, in, in secular universities that do not have any faith in Jesus, like maybe they're world religion students, and they can study this exact same theology, but what they're learning is concepts. They're learning intellectual understanding. What I'm trying to give you is conviction. I'm trying to give you an anchor for your soul that is not about your head knowledge, but that it is in your heart. It is woven into the DNA of your heart, and it transforms your behavior. So by learning these four things, it's not going to make you smarter. It's going to make your life rooted so that you can live out what you've learned. It's not an idea. It is an anchor into what? The presence of God. The first anchor is this. God is good. Now, I know that for some people, we're like, well, okay, I thought you were going to give us, like, something good. Like, I, I thought you were going to give us something profound. Like, we all know that God is good. Yeah, but oftentimes, whenever our heart gets broken, or we lose a job, or we lose a loved one, or something bad happens in the world, we freak out like the world is going to end. And we're like, of course God is good. And then the wind blows, and you're like, I don't know where God is. I can't find God in this situation. No matter what happens, God is good as an anchor of your soul. In fact, I'll tell you this, God is better than you think. I want you to imagine how good God is. He's better. God is so good that it is impossible to exaggerate his goodness. If you were to try to just describe, if you were going to write books on the goodness of God, there would not be enough pen and paper. You cannot describe how good he is because he's so good. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 10, nobody is good except God. It is in red letters in your Bible. I want you to imagine your um, mom and dad or um, you and your buddies are going out exploring. Um, maybe you're going to go on a trail and you're going to go for a hike. But for some reason, you're going to go at night. 
And you're like, oh, it's okay, there'll be some moon and stars. No, no, it's cloudy or it's whatever. And you get out there and you realize, I can't see where I'm going. And I know that there is a steep cliff on one side and there's ditches on the other side and I'm trying to navigate this path of all, that I'm on. We're only going to explore where we can see, which is why we usually do our hiking in the daytime. Looking at me in my midsection, you realize I don't do a lot of hiking. We only explore what we can see. And too many Christians have no confidence in their walk with God. They have no confidence in their faith because they've rarely seen His goodness. We have seen church. We have seen religion, we have seen denominations, we have seen good people, nice people, we've seen good communicators, good preachers, good worship leaders, but have you actually seen, have you experienced the goodness of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God? Because I warned you, I'm going to teach you four things that are going to anchor your soul, not to your head knowledge, but to your heart, and that's going to change your behavior. We're going to shine a light under the goodness of God. Because otherwise, you'll just go to church. You'll just sing songs. You might even serve on a team as an usher or something. You'll give some money because you felt guilty for the guy whose wife's dying. Like, you'll just be like, you'll just do the good things. But you don't have any confidence in the goodness of God because you haven't actually tasted it and experienced that God is good. Because let me also say this. If you honest to God, I'm telling you, if you really believe that God is good, you would live a life that has no limits. If you really believe that God is good, you would take risks, you would dream big dreams because you know that God is good. And even if I jump off a cliff, God is good, he's going to save me. I don't mean literally, don't be stupid. I'm talking about in the Holy Ghost. Because we that are the light, we live in the darkness. We live in a, a sinful, broken world. So therefore, there, the, the, ever since Genesis chapter 3, there has been pain, there has been sickness. You know, I've been dealing a lot with, with cancer in, in my own family and, and talking through with my family. And they're like, I just, just don't understand why. I'm like, because ever since Genesis chapter 3, we've had sickness and pain and rebellion and sin in the world. And here's the thing, though. I don't question God. So for those of you that don't know, I'm, I'm losing both my brother um, and my stepmother and some dear friends if, you know, we're believing God for a miracle for Olga in particular. But I, I'm in a really difficult season just personally. But I will never question God. Why? Because I know that he is good and it is an anchor to my soul. We were with Oscar last night. And Olga is barely breathing. And there's tears streaming down as we, we wept together, we laughed together. And he's got his, head on her, her, his hand on her head and tears streaming down his face, and he goes, it's okay because I know that God is good. I don't question God because he doesn't work for me. I work for him. It is an anchor of my soul that no matter what happens, God is good. It doesn't matter how many funerals I go to in the next year, God is good. It doesn't matter if there's money in the bank account or not, God is good. It doesn't matter if there's food in the pantry or not, God is good. It doesn't matter if I'm happy or not, God is good. Do you get that? Sometimes we live such a selfish life. It's just like, oh, it's all about me. I don't feel happy right now. I'm sorry you don't feel happy right now, but God is still good whether your happy feelings are there or not. Here's the beauty of his goodness. He shares it. He puts it on the inside of us. 
He wants us to be a light in the darkness. He wants us to be a hope and to display the hope of heaven to people that have no hope. Our job is to reflect the goodness of God to the world around us. Jesus is the perfect example of this. He was God in, in human uh, in flesh. He, he was God that came to earth. He was God that put on a, a, a suit of man just like you and I. But yet everything Jesus did reflected the goodness of God, the love of God, the power of God. The, the goodness of God is just... The goodness of God is demonstrated in the power of God. Those of you that are taking notes, that would have been a good one. The goodness of God is demonstrated by the power of God. And we serve a God of power. So if we're going to talk about the goodness of God, we have got to talk about the power of God. Because we have to be willing to step out in faith and display that goodness by praying for the sick, by, 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 by prophesying over people, giving words. When was the last time you prophesied over somebody? And some of you are like, uh, whoa, uh, that I'm not a level 10 super Christian, okay? I'm just like a regular Christian. Like, prophecy's not for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 says, I want you to pursue love, and I want you to earnestly desire all the spiritual gifts, and especially the gift that you would prophesy. Leave that verse up for a while until everybody in the church realizes that they are a level 10 super Christian. So when I ask you, when was the last time you took a risk and demonstrated the power of God by prophesying over somebody, I'm telling you, faith in God, faith in the goodness of God is an anchor for your soul. And too many people's lives are tossed around because they're unwilling to anchor themselves into the goodness of God. Faith can't be seen. It's a choice. It is, I'm just, I choose to believe in God. All of you trusted in the car that drove you here to believe in the brakes. Right now, you're believing in the chair you're sitting in. You're believing in the engineers that built this building that is not going to fall over and crush you. You put your faith in things all the time. I'm telling you, we need to put our faith in God who is all-powerful. He is good. I don't know how we can read our Bible from Genesis to Revelation and realize that we are the ones that are required to take a risk, to take a leap of faith. You can't live your life without faith. You can't get out of bed without faith. It, put it this way, if we can do church without faith, then we should no longer be doing church. If we're not representing the goodness of God, the power of God, the kingdom of God on the earth, then what are we doing here? God is asking us to do more, to dream more. So often we are the ones that put a lid on what God can do in our lives. And we make the impossible less than possible because of our own unbelief. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. For you Bible school students, that's risk. Faith is spelled risk, which then leads us to the second anchor. Anchor number two, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. I, I, last night, we're watching our friend, shallow breathing. I mean, if she went to heaven last night while we were watching, I wouldn't be surprised. That's how far down the road is. But that my prayer is not, Lord, I just pray that you would kill Olgi and take her to heaven. Because No, because God doesn't kill people because God is a God of life. So we're, we literally laid our hands on Olga last night, and in the same way that you would pray for somebody that had died to be raised from the dead, that is our prayer over Olga's body, is that she would be raised from the dead. And they'd be like, well, that's just silly. That creates false hope. Have we not been over what hope is? 
What is the point of living life if we don't have hope? It is an anchor for our soul. Of course we're going to pray for a miracle because nothing is impossible for God. I love red letters. Matthew chapter 19. Jesus looked and said, hey, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Circle that, highlight that, all things are possible. See, this statement, all things are possible, this goes beyond head knowledge, and it comes into an anchor for our soul that is going to change our behavior. If we really believe that God is good and nothing is impossible for God, we're going to dream and we're going to dare and we're going to risk to do things. Why? Because God is good and nothing is impossible. So that's going to anchor my faith. That's going to anchor my family. That's going to anchor my finances. That's going to anchor how I spend my time. That's going to anchor how I give. That's going to anchor how I serve. That's going to anchor everything in my life because God is good and nothing is impossible for God. I'm going to step out of politically correct church. Amen. I'm so sick of politically correct church, I could just vomit. If we really believe these things, it's going to change our behavior. We're going to reflect and demonstrate the goodness of God, the love of God, because we're going to live a life that doesn't have restrictions, because nothing is impossible for God. You, you guys get this, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. This is Genesis 1. This is the beginning of the book. Man was created in the image of God. Everybody you know on this planet, more than 7 billion people, they bear the image of God. They reflect God's creation. Mark chapter 9. A dad has got a demon-possessed boy. And he brings the boy to the disciples. The disciples can't cast the devil out of the boy. So the, the dad brings the demon-possessed boy to Jesus. He's like, is there anything you can do? Like, if you can help him? And Jesus responds, what do you mean, if I can help him? Anything is possible if a person believes. He didn't say anything is possible if a Messiah believes. You're looking to get a Greek tattoo, that might be a good one. I would never because I'm a Christian, but the point is, <laughs> just alienated half of our worship team. <laughs> no, my th I'm afraid of needles, that's the problem. So, nothing is impossible for God though, right? It's enough out of you. Nothing is impossible if a person believes. He didn't say if a, if a, if a Jewish rabbi 2,000 years ago from Nazareth believes. Jesus said in red letters, nothing is impossible if a person believes. So that's why we come to the Lord. We repent of our sin. We ask Jesus to be the Lord of our hearts. We believe that, that God has saved us from sickness and sin and death. And if you're going to believe that God can save you, you better believe that nothing is impossible for God. If you believe that God can save you, I believe God can heal somebody of cancer. You believe in one impossible thing and not the other? Do you know how bananas it is to think that you could be saved, that you could be forgiven of your sin? That takes a lot of faith. It doesn't take any more faith to believe that you're saved than to believe for cancer to be driven out of somebody's body. So as long as we're going to walk in the kingdom realm, let's really walk in the kingdom realm and not just dabble our toe into it. Let's go all in. 
We are reflecting Jesus. I had to Google this because I'm from a city and I went to high school. Um, Lene's from Arkansas. She would know more about these things. I love picking on Lene. Do you know that Lene doesn't think she has a country accent? Is that the funniest thing you've ever heard? She thinks she doesn't have an accent. Girlfriend, you have the thickest country accent. And I love every bit of it. A stalk of corn will have two to three ears of corn. An ear of corn will have approximately 800 kernels of corn. So a stalk of corn with three ears will have 2,400 kernels of corn. But that stalk and those 2,400 kernels of corn all started with a single kernel of corn, a seed that had to die and go into the ground to produce a harvest. But I'll tell you this, this preacher knows where I'm going. All 2,400 kernels of corn have the same DNA as the single kernel of corn that went into the ground. When I use terminology like your job, if you really believe that God is good and nothing is impossible for God and that we are supposed to represent Jesus on the earth, Jesus is the seed that died. You are his fruit. You represent Jesus wherever you go. So if there was nothing impossible for Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. Well, Jesus was the Son of God. Listen, if Jesus did what he did as God, then it would be impossible for any of us to pray for the sick. He did it as God in a man, a man full of God. You are a man, you are a woman full of God, living on the inside. That's why he gave you his spirit, to empower you. Romans chapter 8, Paul's teaching the church in Rome. He says, the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives where? I'm going to say it again. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body by the same Spirit that's living within you. So if we represent the DNA of Jesus, we should think like Jesus. Nothing is impossible for God. Here's the problem. I've prayed for people that have been healed, but I've prayed for a lot more people that have died and gone to heaven. I've prayed for people to have breakthrough in their finances, breakthrough in their health, breakthrough in their marriage, breakthrough in their addiction, breakthrough in their anxiety, and yet people still struggle. So we get crushed under the weight of disappointment. We get crushed under the weight of what didn't happen. But only the backslider will judge God by what didn't happen because God is good and nothing is impossible for God. Or we sat under a preacher that gave us bad theology and taught us wrong. So on behalf of all pastors that are doing their very best, at least I hope so, sometimes we get it wrong. So if you've ever been taught that you can't Pray for the sick. You can't do what Jesus did in greater things. You were taught wrong. If you've ever been disappointed because the winds of life crashed against your boat and you racked up against the rocks, 
that, that hurt you, and I'm sorry. But that doesn't mean that God is not good and nothing is impossible for God. It means we pull up our anchor, we go back out, and we set our anchor in the things of God. we got to move on. Let me give you the third anchor. The cross of Calvary is a finished work. The cross of Calvary is a finished and complete work. Everything was purchased by Jesus 2,000 years ago. We don't need him to die on a cross again. We don't need him to be beaten again. We don't need him to wear a crown of thorns again. We don't need his blood to be shed again. The cross of Calvary is a finished and complete work. Jesus himself said on the cross, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Sinless Jesus, hanging on that cross with your sin and my sin, with your sickness and my sickness, He said, it is finished. He died, he defeated sickness, death, hell, and the grave, and on the third day he was resurrected. And for 2,000 years, that bloodstained cross and that empty tomb have been declaring, it is finished. So when you pray for the sick, you're not begging Jesus to do anything that isn't already a finished work. You're applying that finished work to this sickness. We're not begging Jesus. We're declaring by faith. Victory is the will of God. How many people, when you read the Bible, came to Jesus for healing and they went away sick? They went away full of demons? The answer is zero. If Jesus were on the earth today and I could somehow get Olgi's body to Jesus, she would be healed. And I do not know why. I do not know why we might lose her to heaven this week. And yes, I get it. That's their ultimate healing. I've lost people too. But while she's still breathing, I'm believing for a miracle. That's a good verse. Um, I'm... I'm kind of hostile and ready to move on, but I'll read Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has blessed us with a few spiritual blessings in heavenly realms. Wait, what? Hold on, hold on. Oh, snap. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. Why? Because we've been united with Christ. Did you notice that he says, past tense, we have already been blessed? The spiritual blessings in heavenly places has already happened. It's already been poured out. Why? Because we're united with Christ. Why? Because of the cross. Because of the cross. There is not a sin you have committed or might will commit that hasn't already been nailed to the cross. There is not a sickness that you have or might have that has not already been nailed to the cross. It's not like Jesus is like, you've got what? Leukemia? Man, I never thought of that. I should have put that on the cross. You're struggling with addiction to porn or weed or food. Golly, I wish I would have put that on the cross. Everything we struggle with, Jesus has already taken to the cross 2,000 years ago. It is a finished and complete work. Our job is to declare that victory over it. Let me, all right, here's here's an illustration. Here's an analogy. You have a million dollars cash in your bank account Some of you are like, preach it. Amen, I receive it. (laughs) 
but you don't tithe and wonder why God's not opening the windows of heaven and blessing you. Oh, is the Bible real or not? Or is just parts of the Bible real? You have a million dollars in your bank account, but you're living under a bridge and you're starving to death and you haven't taken a shower or eaten a hot meal in months. Why? Just because you have had authorization to receive it, you still have to go and withdraw it. The victory that Jesus gave you on the cross 2,000 years ago doesn't do you any good if you never tap into it and draw it into your life and ministry. And too many Christians, they live this life that they're boasting about their walk with God, but their life does not display it day to day. You're saying you're rich, but you have never made a withdrawal on that bank account. The victory of the cross is a finished and complete work. And if you truly believe that God is good and nothing is impossible for God and that the cross is a finished work, then we owe it to God and we owe it to the world around us to live it out. No more introverted, limp-wristed, mamby-pamby, just my Christianity is my faith walk. No, because there's people that are dying and going to hell. You can't live like that anymore. That is selfish. God has given you an endless supply of love, hope, mercy, grace, and victory. It needs to be shared. You have a light. Don't hide it while people are in the darkness. Let me give you the fourth anchor so you can get out of here. Every person is significant. We've already said, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, every person was created in the image of God. What does that mean? Every person is significant in the eyes of God. Yeah, good people. Good people are significant in the eyes of God. You get that Jesus died for bad people too, right? You guys get that people that are murderers and rapists and bad politicians? <laughs> I didn't say which bad politician. I don't know where your brain just went. They're created in the image of God. They bear the image of God. Therefore, they are significant to God. We all know John chapter 3 and verse 16. Everyone knows God loves the world so much that he gave up his one and only son, Jesus. Everybody that believes in Jesus will not perish, but will have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Jesus. God loves every body, not just the good people, not just the nice people. What happened on that cross was a great equalizer. The same price was paid for you and me that was paid for a murderer, the blood of Jesus. It cost the son. This, you guys get that, right? The same price was paid for bad people as good people. So what that should do is humble us before God's love, before his mercy, before his wisdom, because everybody is created in the image of God. Everybody is worthy of honor. Everybody is worthy of respect, not based on what they do, but based on the fact that they bear the image of God. Just imagine a political person, because it's so political right now, that you really hate, and then repent for hating them and bless them in Jesus' name because they were created in the image of God. If they're for you, if they're against you, if they make fun of you, if they hate you, if they're an atheist, if they're a devil worshiper, if it's a witch in a pointy hat, created in the image of God. So if we bear the image of God, then we should honor one another. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor 
hate your enemy. Jesus is like, yeah, but I'm going to tell you to love your enemies too. Pray for those that persecute you. If you haven't been persecuted lately, then what kind of Christian faith are you living out? They persecuted Jesus so much they killed him. You get your knickers in a wad if somebody, you know, makes fun of you for being a Christian and going to church on a Sunday. In that way, you'll be acting as a true child of the Father in heaven if you love people. God gave sunlight to the evil. He gives sunlight to the good. He doesn't just send rain on the good. He sends rain on the unjust. Every time rain is referred to in Scripture, and this is Jesus, it's in red letters, it's a symbol of the blessing of God. God doesn't just bless the righteous. He blesses the wicked. The sun and the rain fall on the good and the bad. Here's an important truth. We all have skin in this game. We are all the hands and feet of Jesus. We are all the ones that show the world that God is good. Nothing is impossible for God. The cross is a finished work. And we're going to honor and love people well. Why? Because our God is good. Hop up on your feet. I'm going to read Romans chapter 2. Don't you guys see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient that God is? And does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it is God's kindness that is intended to turn you away from your sin? The kindness of God will lead us to repentance. The kindness of God will lead us to repentance. Our job is to show kindness to people. No one's going to repent if you don't show them kindness. So I need you to love other people well. I need you to serve other people well. Saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. Jesus is the beautiful example of this in the fact that he was having dinner. He knew who he was. He knew he was the Messiah, but somebody needed to wash the disciples' feet, John chapter 13. Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything. He had come from God. He was going to return to God. So, because because of his authority, he got up, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed his disciples' feet. When we really understand the authority that we have in Christ, it should force us to a place of humility and that we serve other people really well. Serve people in church, serve people in the parking lot, serve people at work, serve people at school. There's no position too low to serve other people. Because there's some people in church that'd be like, well, I'm not, I'm on the worship team now on the stage. I'm not going to serve in the parking lot. I'm on the prayer team. I am anointed to serve, thus saith the Lord, on the prayer team. I'm not going to work in the nursery and change diapers. Do you know who I am? No, you don't know who you are. Because there's no position in the kingdom of God that doesn't serve. You're never gonna be so significant in the kingdom of God that you can't serve. I was talking with a pretty well-known leader recently, um, a pastor, a pastor at Bethel Church in Redding, California, not not Pastor Bill, y'all chill. And he said, how can I serve Uncommon Church? I was thinking, what? Why would you say that? We're here to serve you. We're here to thank you, to to receive from you. He said, I I just want to serve your church. The most significant one in the kingdom washed the disciples' feet. 
If you're not serving on a dream team, if you're not leading a you group, I'm asking you why. Why? What makes you better than Jesus? Today we've got growth track. If God's called you to this church, I want you to take growth track one with Josie and I. It's a one-hour class. We're going to walk you through our vision, our history, and where we're going. And we want you to join on board. And at the end, we're going to ask you to serve on a team. You don't have to serve every Sunday. Serve once a month, but serve. It, it, it empowers us. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, so we're going to serve other people well. All right. Four truths, and if we'll allow these to not be concepts in our head, but conviction in our heart, it'll transform our lives. It'll be an anchor for our soul. It doesn't matter what wind blows in our life, we will not be dashed on the rocks because our anchor is in that God is good so we can dream gigantic God-sized dreams for our lives. Nothing is impossible for God. We will take risks by faith. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. The cross is a finished and complete work. Nothing needs to be added. Nothing can ever be taken away from it. We need to trust the Lord completely when we pray. And number four, every person is significant. They're worth the blood of Jesus. So therefore, we humble ourselves and we serve others well. You can't just know these things in your head. You have to believe them in your heart. Tug on these anchors. Let them transform your heart, your life, your marriage, your friends, your finances, the culture around you. Because sometimes storms come. Sometimes many people you know are fighting terminal cancer. But my anchors are strong. And I will not question God. I will not ask why. Because I know that God is good. If you're here this morning and you'd be honest and say, listen, I'm not right with God. I'm not, I'm not anchored to anything right now. Today is your day to set your anchor in the Lord Jesus. You're going to do it by faith. You're going to trust that God will forgive you of your sin, wash away your sin, and then he's going to adopt you into his family. You're going to become royalty. If you're watching online, your heart might be pounding out of your chest, and you're like, I've got to get right with God today. It might be the first time you've ever gotten right with God. It might be the first time in a long time. It's been a minute and you've allowed unbelief and sin and fear back into your heart, back into your life. It's distanced you from the things of God. Today's your day to come running back to the Father's love. God's not mad at you. He loves you. Well, preacher, you don't know what I've been doing lately. God's not mad at you. It is the kindness of the Lord that will lead us to repentance. So if you need to pray a prayer and get right with God today, I can help you. I can lead you in that prayer, but I can't pray it for you. You have to believe. You have to pray it out loud. So even if you're at home right there watching YouTube, your heart's beating out of your chest, probably tears welled up in your eye, you're ready to get, with, get right with God today. Maybe you're here in the room today, and you need to pray and get right with God. Can I lead you in that prayer? In fact, we'll all help you lead that prayer. I would like to know who I'm praying for. If that's you this morning and you need to pray that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, would you just shoot your hand up real high and just say, preacher, pray for me. Today's my day to get right with God. I'm here this morning, but I need to get right with God today. Is there any hands? Shoot them up, wave them at me. I see one over here. Okay, good, praise God. Good, 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 good. Even if you're at home, just by yourself in your living room or watching this, you know, playback months from now, I want you to shoot your hand up between you and God. If you believe it in your heart, why don't we all pray this out loud? Say, dear Jesus, I repent. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me 
cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I set my anchor in you, in your goodness, in your love, in your power, in the cross. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for adopting me. I receive the gift of adoption. Let's keep your eyes closed. Somebody needed to hear that today. Somebody that didn't raise their hand, but you've been in church for a long time. You felt like you're an outsider. You felt like you're the only one. You felt like you don't belong here. You belong, you're in the right place. We need to get you connected to some people, but you are in the right place and I'm so proud of you for being here today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in our church and you've been coming for a little while but you still feel lonely, it's just me and you, would you shoot your hand up and just wave it at me a little bit? Because I wanna, I wanna love on you, I wanna make sure that I connect you with some people. Is there anybody here this morning? You're so lonely and introverted, you're like, I would never raise my hand. Please find me and my wife right after church. I want to make sure we get you connected. By the way, amen. Some of you were so saved, you wouldn't look up till I said amen. Amen. Listen, if you were the one, I want you to screw in a light bulb on our Jesus wall. If you're at home, we have this wall over here that spells out the name Jesus in little light bulbs. I want to put your name on a light bulb and screw it into the Jesus wall, but we need to know who you are. Would you text Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to 817-405-2244? All that does is send you an auto-response form. Please fill that form out. Click submit. We want to begin to pray for you and encourage you in your walk with God. We also want to put your name on a Jesus light bulb over on our Jesus wall. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.